Welcome to At the Intersection. I'm Marion. And I'm Brian. And this is a podcast about policy, culture, identity, and how all of those things intersect. Yeah. And today we got to talk to Jessamine Stanley, who is a yoga practitioner. She is an author. She is a podcast host. She is a Durham celebrity. And she's just generally an awesome, awesome person. And we talked about everything. We talked about yoga. We talked about body positivity, fat acceptance. We talked about cannabis. Um, we talked about Ivy Park. We covered it all. Yep. So enjoy. My name is Jessamine Stanley. I, I mean, I think of myself just as a yoga practitioner, but by trade, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm the author of Everybody Yoga, and I am the founder of the Underbelly Yoga. And I'm also the host of Dear Jessamine, a new podcast. And I do what I do, honestly, just because I've been called to do it. Like, I definitely had different career aspirations for this particular point in my life and um the way that things have turned out really is something that I would not have I I wouldn't have picked it by choice like if you told me even five years ago honestly like what my life was going to be like now I probably not only wouldn't have believed you but just wouldn't have striven for it so like I feel like I do what I do because it's what the universe is asking me to do right now. Well, that's pretty dope. And so like, uh, you know, how would you describe, like what, how would you describe your overall, like, I know there are a lot of endeavors that you're in, but like, what does that all amount to? How would you communicate that to somebody? Mm -hmm. I mean, really like, I just, practice yoga and I teach yoga through practicing it. And I think that because the way that yoga is defined in the mainstream is almost entirely as a physical practice. So that people, like if you say that you're a yoga teacher, if you say you're really into yoga and people are like, oh, you love exercising. And I'm like, (laughs) I mean, not more than the next person to be honest, but like I do in my life need to yoke the light and the dark of life. And that's all yoga is, it's just yoke the good and the bad the ups and the downs and like really trying to acknowledge that there's meant to be chaos in life and that all we really can do for do is just show up to it and I started like documenting my yoga practice on social media because I mean this was back whenever like Instagram first came out so it was before this era of like everyone and their mother using it as a method of promotion (laughs) but like back then it was just I mean it was mainly like college students posting pictures of their cats and I recognized that there were like a good number of (laughs) yoga people on there y'all were there you know so it was was a lot of cats so I um I noticed that there were a lot of yoga people on there and they were posting pictures of their practices really just to their physical yoga practices so the postures um as a way to get feedback from one another and as a way to feel like you're a part of a bigger community and I think that's one of the reasons why 
maintaining a home yoga practice is so difficult is because you are missing that kind of aspect of community where you can go to just like connect with other people. And so social media became that for me in my home practice. And over time, I realized that there were a lot of people that wanted me to teach them. And like, even in that, I didn't have any interest in teaching. And this is a whole other saga that we can go into of like how that actually came to pass but in my teaching practice I really just think like I'm just trying to reach everyone who's ever asked me to teach them and some people like are not interested in practicing physical yoga postures like I do teach live classes all over the world and online but like some people would rather read about yoga so I write about yoga write books uh some people would rather um talk about yoga thematically so that's why a podcast like there's all of these all of the different avenues are really just trying to do the same thing which is reflect an honest uh an honest portrayal of a yoga practice I think that, I mean, what you said about how oftentimes like yoga is, it can feel like a sort of individual experience and that you can't be like, it's, it's not often viewed as a communal experience, right? Like this part of a community, but I really do think, I mean, what you're doing with like the underbelly and with your podcast and what, you know, like Adrian is doing with yoga with Adrian, making sure that even as we're working on ourselves individually, we're still part of a community of people who are doing yoga for various reasons. Like that's given it an aspect that is super needed and is super valuable. Right. Cause I think that like what tends to happen in, um, in general, like if you practice yoga in a class environment and not just like one-on-one with a singular teacher Mm -hmm. is that you ultimately like kind of want to congregate with the people that you're practicing with somehow around something. And because the like religion of this kind of Americanized yoga is money. The religion, all of it is like rooted in capitalism. And so we end up congregating around bullshit ideas like fucking leggings and like coconut water and destination retreats and all of these things that like are really just, you know, they're things for us to try to own, to pretend to do the work of practicing. But if you can congregate around like, the feelings that come up and the truths that come up, it allows for everyone to have a much deeper practice. And it allows for all of this work that needs to be done um, sort of sociologically, it allows space for that to happen. That I think is where we like usually can't get quite that deep because again, people are hung up on leggings and coconut water. But I mean, I think that like, there's so much when we're all doing the introspective work of looking within, we're able to engage with topics that are really necessary, but can feel out of us. Yeah. I think so. Like it's interesting. Cause I think that my, my own personal, this is just me going to go off on a personal rant about my yoga journey. But like, I think the way I began it was really focused on the poses a lot more and like posting pictures of like, Hey, like I can do this pose now and I can do this pose now. And I've totally over the last few years have stopped posting pictures of myself doing poses for the most part. Um, just because it's become such a more spiritual journey and a more like I'm doing yoga in order to 
heal or I'm doing yoga in order to just like calm myself or self-soothe or connect to something or like try to work through a problem that I'm having. And it's, I don't know, it's weird to not have that, to want to still be part of the community, but also not be like, I don't have anything like to contribute from a pho photograph perspective. Like I'm not posting on Instagram about this anymore, um, but I am still doing it. It's still really a huge part of my life. I don't know. It's just the capitalistic and the consumerist aspects of it are so deeply tied to how we're supposed to connect with each other. It's yeah, it's difficult. And it is, it's so difficult. And I think that, um, that, okay. So I had this kind of come to Jesus about all of this a few years ago where it was not that long after, um, everybody yoga came out. And I just was thinking like, fuck, I mean, I feel like I am really trivializing this practice by, I mean, in addition to, and we can go down the road of like the fact that white people enjoy engaging with my content because it feels like a, like a safe way to engage with blackness or something or a way to like, um, it's very like circus sideshow. It's like, there's, so I like have this whole complex around that. And then there's this other part where it's like, this is not even like yoga, what it pulls out of us cannot be encapsulated in a photograph like there's no way to say that like like this posture is really like going to express the full breadth of the um metaphysical work at play and it can and i was just like i don't want to engage with this anymore like i just need to get rid of these accounts and then i thought there's so much fake shit on here that to just show like the reality of a yoga practice, but it's not always these, it's not always a handstand on the beach. Like sometimes mm -hmm. it's like having to deal with really dark and unpleasant aspects of self that while like, maybe it's not as fun, it's not photogenic, it's, it's maybe alienating, maybe it does not make people want to like, um, maybe it, it doesn't pull up the feelings of like, aspirational living that seem to be the desired tinder on um, social media but it is what yoga actually is and I was just like okay so this feels like a reason to engage but otherwise I feel you completely a hundred percent so I'm curious, I mean, like if you Google Jessamine Stanley, one of the first things that comes up is like body positive yoga instructor. And I'm curious to know just like <laughs> what body positivity means to you right now. And just know like, how has that meaning changed over the past several years? It's like, if only there was a way to just like not have singular ideas completely strapped to your identity because people were like body positive yoga body positivity expert and I'm like Mitch, man, I don't know like I'm <laughs> on this journey of just trying to not hate myself it's it sounds simple it's actually really complicated it's like trying to tear down layers upon layers of like self-deception really that have been buried for my entire life and that's not something that you can really easily fit into a marketing campaign and so I, I'm saying this to say that I feel like body positivity to me has never changed it's always the same I feel like body positivity means you are okay today you in your body as you are are 
everything that you need to be. That yes, you could be different. Perhaps you were different at a different point in your life. You will surely be different at a different point in the future. And all of that is good. And so if you accept where you are right now, that creates space to do anything and everything that you would want to do. It has nothing to do with any specific body size or ability or gender expression or anything like that. It's really just like human beings are okay today. But the way that the mainstream has really digested that idea is by saying that body positivity basically means like fat girls deserve the same clothes as everybody else or something like that. And that is just so not what body positivity is, but as that has become the mainstream definition, I found myself like identifying less and less with it. Because even though like, I feel like I have this deeper understanding of it, I'm just kind of like, I mean, and I I honestly think that's for the best because I think that if we hang on too much to words and to phrases, then it becomes more about maintaining that idea of a movement and less about actually doing the work. So like, I'm not really that, I don't really feel any feelings about body positivity. I kind of feel like if it works for someone to use that as an idea to get into their bodies so that they can actually like do the things that they need to be doing every day, then that sounds great. But I think to hang on to words in general is just not a great idea. But it has been interesting to watch what happens as body positivity is co-opted by people, especially people who don't really like, who are having difficulty with the the core uh, ideas of it. And then also so much of body positivity um, was really built on the backs of like, queer black femininity and just like people on the internet of varying identities just like showing themselves i mean and really the people really who are like on the margins and not represented in the mainstream and it's been so interesting to see what it what the movement looks like as it's like understood by people who have seen themselves reflected in the mainstream and like the way that the the expectations then that come from it because I think that people expect that like if they start being body positive then it's like the magic cure that they've been waiting for and that it's like somebody taps their head with a wand and they're like oh I know everything like I always feel great about myself and then whenever they have a day where they don't feel great about themselves and they're like actually all of that all of that internal grime is still there. Then they're like, well, fuck body positivity. Like, <laughs> man, I thought this was gonna work. I thought this was gonna fix all my problems. And now it's not. So, you know, forget this. And I'm just like, yo, nobody said living was easy. That's not what that is. <laughs> nobody said that's what body positivity is. So anyway, so it's been interesting to see what's happened as the as the community has grown. <laughs> Let's say that. Yeah. And I think I have like I feel a complicated way about that phrase too, because I think just because we're now in the fully co-opted phase and body positivity means something so different than what it meant to me like three, four years ago. Whereas now it's, it feels like it's like a white woman who is like a size eight and she's like, Hey, (laughs) I'm beautiful too. And I'm like, has anyone actually told you that you're not like, have you ever gotten any sort of reinforcement? Literally. Like, what are you going through exactly? (laughs) Um, 
first of all, she's a, she would like for you to know that she's a size 12 now because she was a size eight, okay? She wears a double digit now and she is <laughs> very upset because yes, somebody did tell her that she wasn't cute, her ex-boyfriend. And you know what? Now, with the help of mantras on the internet about being body positive, she's not only down to a size 10, but she's feeling good and she can help you feel good too. <laughs> no, I feel you. Like I cannot with the the way that there's, and I mean, I feel, I feel like I can say that without even being specifically shady about anyone. It's just like, no, it's, just, they, it's different. The messaging is different. Yeah. Oh, that self-deception that you mentioned is, is very real too. Like, yeah, you never get to the point where you're like, okay, I love every aspect of my body every single day of the week. It always makes me feel good. And I don't even understand why anybody would not feel good. Like, I think you posted on Instagram at this point a couple of weeks ago about like leggings and like constantly trying to refit your leggings over your mm. over your stomach um, and realizing like, I don't need to do this. I can just pull my stomach out and just be comfortable. And I was like, bruh, why do I keep on readjusting my leggings when I'm doing yoga at home? Like, who am I doing this for? Oh my God. No, exactly. So, so that's the thing is like, for years, I was like, I need leggings that can hold my stomach in. And I mean, to be fair, it is good to have, especially if you're doing, frankly, any kind of exercise, it's not yoga. It's helpful to have things just compressed in together, <laughs> but just for the sake of being able to move easily. But if you're doing something where you need to be like intimately engaging with your body, then it would be better to have as few clothes on as possible and to not, so that you can actually like pick up your flesh. And the thing with the belly meat in particular is that I have been so emotionally aggressive toward that part of my body, like just mm -hmm. my entire life. It's been like, you're a problem. Everything about the way that you are is not good. And like, I, I put so much hatred toward that area. And so that was a part of the compressing is wanting wanting to hide it and wanting it to go away. And that if I compress it long enough, then it will go away and I won't even have to think about it anymore. But really that aspect of me, that's a huge part of my identity. It's a huge mm -hmm. part of my truth. And like being able to just engage with it physically and like pulling it out of my leggings and holding it. And then I'm in this thing now where like, I'll use it as sandbags. So like, like putting it on intentionally on tops of my thighs when I'm sitting so that I can like use them to weight down my thighs and open up my hips. It's like this revelation of, oh, there's really nothing wrong with my body. <laughs> like there's really, it's all good. Like, and that, that doesn't, I think sometimes when you talk about like really glorifying the fat body, this is what um, fat shamers always say. They want to be like, mm -hmm. you're glorifying obesity. Yes, I am. I guess that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that now. So I'm glorifying the fat body. And in that glorification, it's like, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take care of your body. It just means that how, there's not a problem with how you are today. Like you are the way that you are on purpose. The scars are there on purpose. The weight is there on purpose. It's all there so that you can learn from it. Take care of the body, but know that it's happening for a reason. I'm wondering if, I mean, and, and you, you kind of mentioned this, but I'm wondering if you can talk a bit more about, um, about, I guess the way that, um, kind of the way that, 
external pressures lay different are land differently on black folk um especially like yeah it, it, just the difference between black bodies and white bodies in this oh space people feel so differently about a fat white body than they do about a black white body it is outrageous like it is not the same at all and i mean honestly i just think it's because I mean, I'm sure this is going to be a shock to y'all, but people hate Black women. Like, they do. And, and they don't want to, you know, like, I know it's surprising, so I hope I didn't in the world. But there's just, like, no respect whatsoever. And and you see it even, like, I mean, I've, I've seen it with, like, me at a size 18 and some a white person or a white passing person who is a size 18 and, like, the way that we're treated completely different. I mean, especially like if you're uh, refusing to uh, to wear a hairstyle that is considered to be like more, um, uh, I don't know what the best terminology is. So I'm just gonna say like like a white friendly hairstyle. I don't know. Like if you if you're not willing to do that, if you are like if you're presenting in a way that makes people have to actually deal with their internalized anti-blackness then you are not going to be processed the same way and and there's this really intense fetishizing of the fat black woman too where it's like it's it's like it's okay to sexualize the body and it's okay to try to own the body somehow but it's you don't respect the person inside and you don't um actually understand the politics of them owning their own sexuality so that when like black femme bodies in particular try to like actually own our sexuality publicly it becomes like it's just viewed in a really different way than it is for white bodies and i mean you see it in like like someone um I'm trying to think of what her Instagram handle is. I want to say it's like Ashley Chubby Bunny on Instagram. She is always posting about like, like the, she's posting about like sexuality, being open with her body and her spirit. But the way that people engage with her content is totally different than someone like uh, Sassy Red Lipstick, I think is a good example. Mm -hmm. Um, A woman also on Instagram. And she's like, I don't know what how she identifies, but she's white passing. And like the way that people engage with her in a bathing suit and how they engage with Ashley are completely different from one another. And like, I just think it comes down to the fact that people, that we as a society even, I don't even wanna say like, like try to point the fig finger at like specifically at uh, one group of people, but like, I think that as a society, we have very low regard for the black female body. And that just charts through history. Like there's, especially in America, there's no history of the black female body ever being respected. So like, I mean, I feel like I could go a lot of other places with that, but I just, I don't know, pause. So yeah, I feel like they are perceived very differently from one another the same work totally different viewpoints just to even like put a point on your earlier comment about like the commodification of um and like in how capitalism plays into um into yoga i mean like black women's bodies have like that's what kind of the the control and commodification of that is what has allowed like the wealth inequality like has what is provided for the 
what created this country. Mm -hmm. And so like the idea that um, black women could control their own bodies or control their own sexuality is a like it's a fundamental threat to like what whiteness is. Exactly. Um, and, exactly. and yeah, and it's yeah, exactly it's, right. And it's I mean, wild. It's, there are so many layers on top of it. It's not just like the blackness and the fatness. It's also like there is this sexuality or sexualization. There is colorism on top of it. There's like being femme presenting versus not being femme presenting. Like there are all of these different things that like, if you violate too many of the rules, you get so much hate thrown at you because your, your existence is, like you said, it's a threat. Exactly. And I mean, it's, it's really like, who can offend the least? Like whoever offends the least can come sit at the table and, or no, I'm sorry, not sit at the table. You can come sit near the table um, because let's not think that like, yeah, there are crumbs being thrown. No one's being given a slice. So like, I feel like if you are light skinned, if you have, um, let's say like kind of, like if you if you have inches, if you uh, have like a snatched waist, mm -hmm. if you you know uh, <laughs> if you're a heterosexual presenting, like then yeah, I feel like you can you can slide by in a way that like is very different from being dark skinned with an afro, queer, like all these things that really just like with each marker, it's showing like this is something that feels intimidating to white supremacist values. And like, it just really always has been. And frankly, props to them for consistency because I feel like <laughs> in, you, they, they've been acting the same this whole time. I was just watching the, um, the new version of Roots and I was just like, damn, man, y'all should do the same shit this whole time. Like the whole, like everything about it, I was just like, damn. Okay, yeah, that's, this is familiar. I got you. Okay. You don't know how to protect yourself and you've been doing it for centuries. That's great. Literally, like you don't want... So, I mean, I don't... I honestly am kind of... It's not that it's not annoying to me and it's not that I'm not bothered by it. It's just like... I'm I'm just trying to figure out ways that we can work around and outside of that system because like it's kind of a I I think it's a benefit to not feel hemmed in by that system and it's like cool so you don't want to be accepting at all that sounds great I'm gonna do my own thing you do you go with God and I'm gonna mind my business and then and then what inevitably happens is that whoever is there within this like mainstream is like oh no how do we get some of that how can we get some of what you're doing and then it turns into this and this is a position that i find myself in more often than i don't i i don't know if it's a more often thing a, a situation that i find myself in frequently where it's like hmm is it a good i is it worth it to be tokenized and fetishized in this way today or like mm. is it not worth it you know what i mean because like even I, I'm down for visibility and I think that visibility is crucial, but I also think that like there's this line of at what point do we say like we're working hundred percent outside the system and like where where are we 
trying to like find the places for cohesion. Yeah. And it's tough too, because I feel like white supremacy as a system, like people will see you saying, you know what, I reject all of the values of the system. I'm going to go outside of the system. And there are other people who are within it who are also suffering from being within it. And they're like, oh, let me follow you, please. And like they bring the whole, like, all of that internalized culture and all of those value systems with them when they're trying to follow you. It's like, you can't, you're actually, you're ruining it. Like, you're not. Right, exactly. You have to find oh your God. own way out of this. You can't follow me here. Oh my God, literally hashtag body positivity. That is the whole <laughs> situation with that. Is that it's like, y'all are making this so insufferable. And like, <laughs> it was so good. And I mean, even, I mean, cause, okay. Actually, I feel like all of the like, fat acceptance, fat positivity, writers and thinkers who have been at this work like since the 60s and beyond, they're all looking at like everybody who's mad at the shift in body positivity and they're just like sipping tea slowly because <laughs> I feel like they're like, bitch, you saw what they did with fat positivity and with fat acceptance because fat acceptance, which really like body positivity grew out of that, mm-hmm. that movement has, is, very um very radical it's very queer it's very much like about pushing against the ideas of what specifically fat bodies are um how we are allowed to see ourselves and how the world sees us Mm -hmm. and that ideology is so much more it's more militant and more revolutionary i think than body positivity and body positivity to a lot of that acceptance uh, activist has always felt like bullshit. And mm. I, that resonates for me in that track. It's always been helpful for me to see them as very separate from one another, that like body positivity is just a child of fat acceptance. It's not that their fat acceptance still, there's a deep necessity for it and more of a necessity for it than ever. Mm. But I don't think that I think it's helpful. And so maybe that's sort of what's happening with body positivity right now. But also, body positivity has spawned this movement called body neutrality. I don't know if y'all have, um, I was not familiar with it until like just recently I was on a panel with someone who has been talking about it a lot. And so I researched it. And then the other day somebody was asking me about it. And the idea is like that so it's, it's basically made by everybody who was pissed about body positivity not working all the time. Mm. So their idea is that, and um, I think Jamila Jamil is one of the big advocates of um, body neutrality. The, the I idea way. is that, the, what'd you say? Her I weigh thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, I'm, don't quote me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, um, but the idea is that everyone should just be neutral with their bodies, that like, that you just don't think about it at all. And that if you don't think about your body, or if you say that your body is just kind of always in this neutral place, then you can do all kinds of other stuff because you're not gonna be weighed down thinking about your body, excuse me. Which again with like, whatever floats your boat, whatever feels, I don't, I don't care. Find what, what Adrian says, find what feels good, do that, sounds great. But my thing is like, if you are, if you consider your body to be neutral, then you're not engaging with the truth of your body, which like, you're not, you're not um, 
the intersections. You're not you're not accepting the intersections. There's so much work at those intersections. It's just like a very uh, it's a very white idea, honestly, because it's just like, yeah, just pretend like something doesn't exist in the same way that people pretend, pretend like race doesn't exist. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't have to acknowledge that because I don't want to. And in this very, you know, in this very real ways that even if you're practicing body neutrality, you know, like you're still being interactive people are still interacting with you in a way that may be harmful. Right. Right. That like, it's that, like that, that kind of philosophy doesn't account for. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And you could just like, you're ignoring the fact, like, you're like, Oh no, like everything, like I'm being treated differently because of like my body or like how I appear. Like, well, I don't really, I don't really know about that. Like I don't really see bodies. Like that's a weird, I don't know. I'm right. I guess. It's like, it's like, if you say, um, yeah, like my body is neutral. I'm not going to engage with anything. Um, I'm just going to pretend like every part of it doesn't matter. It means that you don't have to engage with your self-hate. You don't have to engage with your like internalized racism. You don't have to deal with your like phobias. You don't have to deal with any of that because you're just pretending like it doesn't exist. And really, I don't even think it's like, for being honest, I just don't really see how it's possible because yeah. really you're just pretending. But I also think that, like, if it, I mean, there's so much body negativity and it's like, and just like all of us sort of spewing our body dysmorphia onto one another, that I'm like, I mean, honestly, people say some shit that's so hateful that I'm like, if you, if that feels good to you to, to pretend like your body's not there and like the bodies of other people are not there, then like, Truly, whatever makes you feel good. I won't be engaging, but whatever. <laughs> so, this question is kind of a hard left turn. Um, but <laughs> but I'm curious, <laughs> since, you know, you're fancy and everything, you've got your Adidas uh, sponsorship. I'm curious if you got any Ivy Park. Oh, my God. I did not get any Ivy Park. And you know what? <laughs> you know what I would like to say about that? It's that I am not surprised that I did not receive any Ivy Park. Because yeah. I actually, so when, when Ivy Park first came out at Topshop, I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm obviously going to have to go over here and see what's good with these $100 bodysuits. And so, I, because I was like, in XL, I can make it work. I've been fitting into Forever 21 XL forever. So, like, we'll you know, fit, quote, fitting in fingers, uh, quotations. <laughs> making it so work. I was like, I've been making it work. So, I was like, I got, this will be fine. And it was not fine. I will say there's one bodysuit that I love, but other than that one, like the other things that I got, I was just like, I don't know. So when Adidas and Ivy Park launched, I was like, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is like a thin people thing. And I did see that like, I think she sent some to Lizzo or something, but I was like, I mean, it's funny, Mary and I were talking about that because. Yeah, and in Lizzo's unboxing video, she's only wearing the jacket and she can't zip it up. Lizzo's wearing Fenty. Is that right? Lizzo's wearing Fenty. <laughs> which, oh, is, oh, <laughs> which is super inclusive sizing, actually. So <laughs> But like, I live, wait, it, okay. 
Yeah, so she's wearing like a Fenty, like she's wearing red Fenty lingerie and then she's got like the Ivy Park jacket unzipped over it and then has her friend, uh, her skinny friend, jump out of the box wearing the rest of the Ivy Park uh, clothing. Stop that she's it. <laughs> but it's, no, it's interesting. Everything. Like I had Brian watch. I you know, Homecoming is kind of like a religious text for me at this point. Like I oh, watch, of course. Oh, I watch yes. that movie constantly. It has given me like management advice. It's like Absolutely. I learned a lot of the choreography. So I had to show him. I was like, well, this is why I'm so fucked up about the fact that there's not inclusive sizing in this new Ivy Park because she specifically said in this movie that she wanted to have different bodies on stage. Like she wanted to celebrate all of our curves and all of our imperfections. And she has so many dancers who are fat on stage with her. And so it's weird that she would like, you know that she was intimately involved in the design of this line. So like, it is odd that she would create a line that not all of the dancers that she wanted to have on stage with her at homecoming could actually fit into. That, okay, so I have many thoughts about this. <laughs> Number one, so, okay, first of all, I just want to say right out the gate before anybody tries to come to my house, I live for Beyonce. I live for Beehive. I love Beyonce. We're not even, <laughs> I'm making less criticism than observation. Mm. I observe that I also, so second point, I love Homecoming so much. And I like, I mean, that's my go-to workout album because you could just start it at the top and just like start, you could do anything. We could do anything through that whole album. So I'm here for it. But I, and maybe I'm thinking of different dancers, but I feel like every time that I saw a plus size dancer and not a curvy dancer, because Beyonce, I would, I would categorize as curvy, but also straight size. There were many curvy dancers who were wearing the same costumes that Beyonce is wearing. Every time that I saw like a plus size dancer, somebody that I would have maybe called fat, I felt like everybody was wearing a different kind of costume than what perhaps Beyonce was wearing. Now, this could be because many reasons, but I'm also, I feel like not unfamiliar with the ways in which some people like are accidentally size phobic like they don't know that they are and this is one of the ways that like and a lot of clothing companies do this too where you have like one set of designs that's for the straight sizes and then another set of designs that's for the plus sizes and my feeling about ivy park plus adidas was that it very much reflected that mentality that it's like they're certain because like i mean i'm I obviously really like Adidas and where like I, I see that they have they have sizing up to 4x like in the main line but I also see that like perhaps some people may not have thought that that was uh what plus size bodies deserve to be able to get that to get access to we are Ivy Park I mean like and I mean people can say like there's I'm sure a million reasons why it didn't happen and I'm not supposing about any of them but that is what it looks like and that's what it feels like and I mean it feels very much on brand for Beyonce from from my perspective and I don't because if it wasn't on brand then how come they've never done plus sizes you know what I mean like at the other comp like when they were at Top Shop how come y'all didn't do them didn't do them at Adidas it just seems like you're not concerned about that and I mean <laughs> Again, like it could be an issue of like, oh, we wanted to see how it ran um, 
into straight sizes before extending to plus sizes, or, or maybe it's that we were always planning to extend, but just not right off the bat. We didn't realize how um, extreme the desire would be for it. Mm. I don't really know. I don't really care. I'm just saying <laughs> that's what it looks like. Yeah, I was gonna say like <laughs> I, I believe that when it's like an independent clothing line, it's like I don't know how many of these I'm gonna sell. So like, let me test the market. Exactly. But I don't know how many of Beyonce things. <laughs> right. They're all gonna be gone. Like that's just... if anyone literally. If, if anyone did the line, of, if you if y'all thought you were gonna sell every garment, which which category would that be? I think it'd be the Beyonce category. Every garment, <laughs> socks, the sashes. Like people, I mean, so, and I mean, that, that's the thing too. That's the power of her brand though, is that even in seeing the size phobia, I'm still waiting for them to get, I'm like throwing XXL out in that, in those jumpsuits and I will be wearing it. It's like, I'll do it. So, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, to, to me, it's just a really interesting social experiment. Yeah. I mean, like I, I almost bought one of the, I think it's like a short sleeve hoodie. I was about to buy it, and I was like, $85? I don't know if that makes sense. Let me wait. And it obviously pulled out, so I went on Poshmark, and I was like, I don't know, like, $200 for that same hoodie might make some sense. Like, I might have to yeah. do it. Oh, man, I bet somebody did one right over there at Poshmark. Absolutely. You know it's tragic. I really hadn't even, I wasn't paying attention to the release date or anything, and I was just like, by the time I realized it was out, it was gone. Like, damn. <laughs> I was going to try to get, I mean, again, with like, I've been trying to fit into Forever 21 XLs forever. I'm like, I will make it work, Beyonce. Like, mm-hmm. cut it in, save it a minimum of a size 12 to wear, or a maximum of a size 12 to wear, and I'm going to make it work. I will see what can happen. And <laughs> I, I can't even do that. Damn. Everybody wanted it too bad. So What can you do? But it's on Poshmark. If, you, if you're looking, it's on Poshmark. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Just at a, you know, like 150% markup. <laughs> it's fine. Oh my God. One day. That's one day I'll be blazing. To resist consumerism. You're like, no, I don't want this thing. Ah, I want this thing now. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. Right, right, right. Can I ask a question kind of like going way back? No. <laughs> Marion says no. These are on. linear conversations <laughs> that we're having here, Brian. <laughs> um, so going back to the beginning, uh, talking about like yoga and like you know um like what yoga is can you talk a bit about like so from like a knob for for novice or for so i guess let me frame it like this right um i think i'm gonna talk from an eye, eye perspective like for me um it has been like a very intimidating process um it's felt like a process or like a practice that kind of belongs to white women and so um, it's been difficult to, so it's been difficult to, to one, like find a space where, um, to, quite frankly, to find a space where I feel like I'm not, um, where like, I'm not violating space, right. That, that women should have, but also like a space where like as a black guy, like I can, so it's, this question is not about black guys. This question is about people in general. I understand that like, that's a social pressure of like not belonging in that space of practicing yoga, um, especially like in a community space. And so can you talk a bit about um, kind of like what yoga even is, like uncoopted from um, kind of like the Gwyneth Paltrow kind of? Hell yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, so to, to the point that you were making first, I've, first of all, really identify with that because someone, uh, 
a couple years ago had asked me about this, um, he was like, I mean, as a black man, when I go into yoga spaces where it's predominantly white women, how am I supposed to feel like at ease and calm and quote zen if I'm in a room full of people who have been taught to believe that I'm a predator and they're engaging with me in that way. And it does not feel like a safe space and I don't feel like I can be myself or just like even release to any degree. And like, I feel like that's the experience that I have like as as a black woman in the space, as a queer person in the space, as a fat person in the space. It's like, I'm in a space that truly was not created with me in mind. And regardless of the fact that yoga has nothing to do with any of that, a lot of the Americanized yoga world is that. It's like spaces that were created by white women for white women. And that really just goes back to like how yoga came to America, that it really, was first like pastoral yoga like we practice in studios was really popularized by uh, former dancers former actors former and current who are white predominantly and and have body types that go with those professions traditionally and as a result anyone who doesn't fit into that category just generally does not feel at home in the space but yoga it has nothing to do with that at all. Like that, it has nothing to do with any of these ideas of like ability or skin color or anything like that. It's really meant for all human beings at every point in your life. It's not just like supposed to be really hard postures that only people at certain points in their life are able to practice. It's about like the most simple and also most difficult yoga practice is to just lay on your back in corpse pose and try to breathe because we spend so much of our lives in motion trying to avoid silence trying to avoid having to deal with the difficult shit that comes up in the silence so that just that practice alone is really like the most it's the best practice that anyone could do and anyone can do that shit. Every, anyone and everyone should, needs to, frankly. Donald Trump acts like he needs it on a daily basis to just like let you just need to be chill. And because we don't do that, it's like it's because there's so much confusion around like who is able to even try this practice and because so much of it is caught up in in the pastoral work and like and in showcasing it in very specific ways it means that it seems like it's only accessible to certain people and I mean I think this is a problem that is unique to like our this like modern Americanized yoga because I feel like classical yoga is just not that way like people practice I mean granted like traditionally it wasn't taught to all gender identities but like now classical yoga is really understood as like anyone at any point in their life can can do it and should do it and it has nothing to do with what the person looks like but in america we value thinness we value youth and to a certain extent we glorify whiteness and i feel like that just creates this weird inequity where it seems and feels inaccessible and I, I feel like the only way to respond to that is for us to create spaces. Because, I mean, there is, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I 
I went to a predominantly white high school. Like I definitely grew up doing a lot of activities with white kids. So like, I understand what it is to be the only and that sometimes it can help to just like be the one to be the one or the few or the several integrating a space. So like, I'm not saying that I don't see the value in all of us. Like, <clears throat> it's like, yeah, the spaces were created for us, but like, let's make them for everybody. I get that and I hear that, but I also think there's a need for spaces that are for us by us. And that it's like, for every kind of person that will want to see themselves in a practice, then you should, like there should be spaces that are specifically for fat bodies, specifically for black people, specifically for queer people, like places where, because ultimately the whole reason to even do the physical practice of yoga is so that we can get into the spiritual part of ourselves and that you can't even be comfortable and vulnerable in that way if you don't feel safe. And I feel like, we just have to make more spaces for more people to feel safe. I really, yeah, that really resonates. Cause I think I also like, I've been to predominantly white institutions my whole life. And I don't think like, and I had had a, like I started a yoga practice like, in grad school pretty much. But the first time I went to one of your classes at Durham Yoga Company, I realized that was the first time I'd ever been in a yoga class or any sort of athletic class really where I wasn't the only big black person in the room and it's <clears throat> yoga. And I just like, by the end of the class, I know that I was crying. Cause I was like this, I didn't realize how much I was carrying with me associated with working out or just like being physical or being in leggings around people that don't look anything like me. Like I didn't, I don't think I was fully conscious of it until I experienced the opposite. And I was like, this is, this is a revelation and a half. Like I feel like I moved through the world in a pretty confident way, but like you just, until you get to experience the other side of it, you don't realize how much of that stuff you've internalized. Exactly, exactly. And it really takes, it takes that safety because until then you're just, you have the boundary up. Like how can you even, it's just like, I'm trying to get through this experience and like get in and out in one piece. Right. That's what's even like being, so again, with like I never, I don't really think of myself as a teacher so much as a practitioner. I always just feel like when I'm, teaching a class that I'm just like holding space for people to do whatever it is that they need to do. And so I, like everyone else, am also affected by who's in the room. And I'm very much like, I definitely came up in going to yoga classes where like I was the only, only fat person, only black person. Like I do not see anyone else who even slightly resembles me. And that is just, how I process the experience and and to a point where like now I'm I'm deep enough in my home practice where it's like I go into those spaces and I'm just like doing my thing but I still feel myself affected by it like it it affects like I'm looking at my clothes like did I wear the right outfit to be here like am I being too loud or like because I make a lot of noises when I practice so I'm like am I being too loud am I gonna touch someone like are they gonna be upset that I'm touching them like all of these different little things and it's not until I'm in those environments where like like because I feel like in my classes, I'm more likely to see someone who, like see a bunch of curvy people with wearing just sports bras, way more likely to see that in my classes than in any other class. And it's like, it's revelatory just to see people that I'm like, it's not even necessarily that we look the same. It's that you have clearly been told that you are 
like you don't look like the mainstream. So someone at some point has told you that you're not good enough and you are defying that and standing in your truth. Even if that truth doesn't look like me, I see myself in that truth. And I feel like that experience, that's how you're able to get into a deeper connection with the self. If you're, if you're in a group full of group of people, because you're able to like really feel like it's okay to just let the truth exist and not feel like you have to cover it up. That's just dope. You can't see, but I'm over here processing shit. Yeah. <laughs> he does have his processing face on. I recognize it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess besides your yoga practice, how else do you take care of yourself? Well, I think probably... I mean, I think of meditation as a part of my yoga practice, but as a separate practice, meditation and breath work and and um, just taking time for myself, those are probably like the biggest things that I do. But I also have a lot of rituals like tarot, astrology, cannabis is a big part of it, like just different things that help keep me balanced and um and also like because I I hate when it's if it seems like yeah you know I just do these things it's my magic set of activities and and it helps <laughs> keep me together and it's like you know usually it's like am I off balance is something have I gone off the deep end am I usually my biggest cues are like if I'm being just really mean, because I can be like really, really, really mean and really intense. And like, if I'm doing that a lot, then I'm like, okay, it's time to like, I've, I mean, I wear crystals. I, I have a bunch of stones in my bra right now. Like I always am doing things to just try to reset. But like, if I'm, especially if I've been working a lot, which I spend a lot of my time working, that it's really easy to get into these cycles of just like, being like, oh my fucking God, like what's going on with this thing, oh my God. And then it's like, okay, so it's time to go breathe. It's time to go meditate. It's time to do a reading, whatever is needed. And, um, and I mean, like reading books, also like taking time, considering physical exercise as being separate from anything else and that it's just like my time to enjoy myself. And like, it doesn't have to be like, I have to practice, I have to, spin or I have to run or I have to uh, swim for like an hour or I'm not good enough I'm not doing it it's like no this is my time to have fun so like if I have 30 minutes to take a spin class or if I have like an hour to go to the gym or have like time to go for a hike or whatever the thing is that like it's just time to have fun and to enjoy myself and I think that sort of divorcing that idea from a need to change my body or a need, even a need to maintain my body is really helpful mentally and it just makes me like it makes me enjoy it more and um I mean probably though the biggest like self-care thing that I do is just not doing shit I don't want to do and not talking to people that make me unhappy and it sap my energy and like and that means that like I don't really do a lot of things outside of like <laughs> go to work in my house but like that's all part of like external stimuli is just really hard and I don't it seems like it's hard for everybody to be quite honest so like I just gotta limit the outside of the places. <laughs> 
Um, so tell us about the new podcast. So the new show is called Dear Jessamine. It is really just me trying to respond to my Instagram DMs, but also trying to um, categorize them a little bit more because I realized that a lot of people hit me up about the same things. And I'm like, I feel like there are a lot of questions that people want to ask someone, but they're also not quite sure who to ask so that when you find like this like queer poly like a uh, fat body yoga teacher online you're like maybe she has the answer or like maybe she knows what I'm talking about so right. like it's really just me trying to respond to everyone who sent me a question like that and the first season is about polyamory which is something that like I've been I guess, do you say you've been practicing polyamory? I don't know. I've been, yeah. I've been living a polyamorous lifestyle for yeah. a number of years. And it's something that as a result, I've learned a lot about, particularly about what not to do. Mm. And a lot of people, it seems, are exploring polyamory to one degree or another. And probably because we're all trying to figure out ways to honestly be like ways to be more honest with one another so um all of the questions of the first season are about polyamorous relationships like just the ins and outs of what they really look like less theoretical and more like so me and my partner had a threesome with my best friend and now me and the best friend have always been in love with each other are we in a poly relationship or what like every kind of thing like, can I tell someone so it's um it'll be out on February 18th and the first season is just I mean, it's hilarious, and I'm I'm excited listening to it. Honestly, I'm like like I'm in the conversations, and then I'm listening to it back. Like, you're like oh, shit. Okay, you're great. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So like so yeah, uh, but it can. Oh, go ahead, please, please, please. Oh no, I was just saying that's the best feeling when you're like listening to it. You're like, I'm so excited to hear myself talk through this again because this is this is great. Right. Well, and it's also just like the information that I wish I had had, <laughs> or like that that I think. I, I still need, honestly, I'm like, cause it's hard. I mean, I think being in relationships with other people is really difficult because we expect for people to always stay the same and then they don't. And then we expect for ourselves to always be the same and we're not. And it's really just about dealing with the, with the reality, with the truth and ultimately dealing with the yoga of it all. <laughs> You are on brand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I'm very excited for this though, because I know anytime I reshare something that you posted about polyamory, my DMs blow up, and I'm like, everybody, just, you know, please move your questions over to Jessamine's inbox. Like, I'm not. This is not. <laughs> <laughs> People are out here. They're trying to figure themselves out. And answering questions for y'all is not what I signed up for. Please just. <laughs> <laughs> So one question that we like to ask everyone um, is you just want to know how you want your reparations. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Well, one of the ways that I, one of the things that I always consider reparations is like, if I have, if I have a driver, like if I'm working with a brand who's got me a driver, <coughs> excuse me, and they drink some water. And if the driver is white and he's like, is carrying my luggage through the airport, 
then I'm like, that's not rep- that's that's a form of reparations. I'll take it. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I get people who are like, I don't know if they're like feeling white guilt in that moment, but like just the other day, I mean, I, I think it's his like history month, but I got like a couple dollars in my Venmo, and person was just like, thanks for giving, thanks for doing free labor, essentially. And I was just like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'll take it, you know. But I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna try not to give too much weight to reparations that are not coming from the government because I do believe that we are still uh, I'm I'm still waiting so but I do think that there are there are moments where I'm like yeah okay that's that felt like a balancing (laughs) except this transaction (laughs) is reparations right here there's just so many things that throw it out of balance though where I'm like I don't even (laughs) I'm just thinking about um, a time when I was on a shoot in Seattle, which is already an exceedingly white place. And mm. I was with a camera crew that was predominantly white guys. And I was meditating and just like on the street in Seattle. And I opened my eyes and I was just looking back at all of these white men staring at me, holding cameras and looking. And I was just like, okay i get it this is this is the problem i've fully got it now i see so it's like you weigh that against having a driver carry your bag and i'm just like i don't know if it balances yeah well that was our last question um so i want to see if there's anything else that you want to make sure that we hear uh before we wrap up oh and can you tell us and our listeners how to find you in your Mm. Practices and your podcast that's coming in your book. Oh yeah, plug plug everything. Yeah, you can find everything on jessamansfamily.com. You can find me on Instagram at my name is Jessamine. You can find all my online classes at theunderbelly.com and just at the Underbelly Yoga. And you can find my new podcast, Dear Jessamine, at dearjessamine.com and at, at dearjessamine on social media. But all of that lovely information is perfectly digestible on jessamansfamily.com. Um, but also, in addition to that, I, I talk a lot. I feel like I've said plenty, and I, y'all are lovely, and this conversation has been dope, and I, I feel like I've, I've said it all, said all I need. Wonderful. Well, it's been really great to talk to you and just, like, hear more of your wisdom and your your humor and your insights and we really appreciate you taking the time yeah sure yo same thank y'all for asking me truly and i'm glad that we were able to get this in and i'm looking forward to keeping in touch absolutely dope that's our show thanks for listening we have merch get your how do you want your reparations t-shirt and or mug at www.atheintersection.bigcartel.com Um, You can also get non-reparations related merch if you do not deserve reparations. You know who you are. Our music was produced by DJ Seven Keys. You can find more of him and his music at www.sevenkeysbeats.com and on Instagram at at Mr. Underscore Seven Keys. That's the numeral seven on both. You can follow us on all social media at at the podcast. That's A-T-T-H-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Our website is www.at-the-intersection.com. We can find all of our episodes. You can also go there and send us some financial support. 
If you want to send something else like comments or questions or even episode suggestions, you can send it to at the intersection of at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much all the podcast platforms except for, um, I forgot the name of that one. It doesn't oh, yeah. exist anymore. It doesn't matter. Um, that, that is it. That is our show. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Thank you.